floored. Plan on having a great Christmas. Yes. Isn't it awesome? I mean, the rain. It's Christmas. Like, I'm so excited. I, not, like, it's been a beautiful year so far. Like, like, it's been 60, 65. Like, as a guy who likes to ride a motorcycle, it's been pretty nice. Right, guys? You ride, you're like, this is great. Like, I'm not complaining a whole lot. But it is starting to be, like, a little hindering on my Christmas vibe. Right? It's just, like, sunny and blue skies. And, like, it's just not feeling as Christmas. So, thank you, Lord. We got rain. No more fires. Like, green things are going to start coming alive. Amen? Beautiful. So, man, it's so awesome to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I want to share... Uh, we're going to share a video clip here in a sec, um, if you guys want to get that ready. Um, we are going to be doing something this, this coming next year. We're going we're gonna, to, normally we pray and fast. We do 21 days of prayer and fast, fasting. We're going to be starting that January 3rd, not the 1st. Um, I like to start fast like on a Sunday and work through. And uh, New Year's Day just don't seem like, I mean, that's like not a whole lot of fun to be fasting. Uh, not that it's supposed to be fun, but it's just like, man, that... And besides, I have a, I'm going to be officiating a wedding on the 3rd, and that just doesn't seem like fun either. Go to, like, celebrating some young people's wedding and not eating, just, you know, praise the Lord. I'm just saying. So we will be starting that um, the first Sunday after the first of the year. Praise the Lord. And then we are going to be going into our very purposeful, what are we going to be doing during our fasting time? We're going to be praying and fasting for souls. We want to see 100 people saved this year, not 100 people come from other churches, 100 people saved. That's going to happen from us, not from me. Like, I'm going to try to get 100. I'm just saying, like, if, if I got to be the one to get that 100, challenge accepted. I'd like to have some help. Amen? Um, it is a lot of fun. So we're going to do some training. I'm starting the 6th. Um, well, no, it would be the 3rd. So what is it, the 9th? would be uh, the first night of training. We're going to have some small group signups, not probably next Sunday and from thereafter. Um, the group leaders are going to be coming to my home tonight. We're going to be going over um, what it's going to look like. We're going to do one ourselves, and uh, should be fun. So um, we've done this in years past, and, and I love it. Like, it, it gets you out of your comfort zone. It gives you, it, it gets you equipped to be able to, to get the fear out of the way and know what you're going to be saying and sharing and just have a confidence about it. I think... Um, Craig, you, you've went with me before when we were just praying for people and, and doing that. And, and, uh, and I'm not, I hope you hear my heart in this. But he had said, like, man, you're just bold. Like, you just go after it. And I can tell you, that's not my, like, that wasn't normal. You can see me as, like, you're very bold. And, and in a lot of ways I am, but in other ways, like, I'm totally fine just to sit back, like, with new people. I'm totally fine just kick back at a chair and be like, great, y'all have a great time. If I know everybody, I'm like, hey, what's up? So it wasn't my natural thing to do, but through training. I taught this course a couple times, and I went through it a couple times. I got comfortable being able to share my faith, which has been a blessing. It's been a blessing. So um, you can do that too, right? And here's the thing. It's, it's actually part of your calling. It's part of your calling. It was part of a, a, actually a command <laughs> to share your faith, to go into the world and make disciples. So if you want to be equipped and you want um, to be challenged and you want to grow, I would encourage you to get involved in that. Amen. So here's a little clip. This is what we're doing, but it has to do with um, witnessing um, to 
challenge you. There's, there's some things we can't do, and I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit. A few things we can't do when we're in heaven. You should be able to figure this one out. <laughs> Can we dim out these front lights too? And uh, we'll get ready to play this thing. Good, good. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Aren't you glad it's the blood of Jesus Christ, aren't you? Aren't you? I'm telling you. I know from where I came from, I know what I've been saved from, but I know who I've been saved to. And the question now is, now that I have that salvation, the blood of Jesus Christ, am I going to give it away to anybody? And that's what we're going to talk about for the next two days. I want you to think about that. Thanks for letting me ministering with you for a couple days. Every second, seven people die. By the time you put your head on your pillow tonight, over 600,000 people have walked off into eternity. Heaven or hell as we speak. Got a very simple question for you, Cedarville. Do you care? Much tougher question, though. Do you care enough to do something about it? Because trust me on the simple fact, if you do not care enough to do something about it, trust me, you do not care. And I'll go ahead and tell you, that's the problem we got with the American church today. We swear to the high heavens we care where all these people are going to spend eternity, but I don't care enough to get in a conversation with my next-door neighbor, with one of my friends from high school. Think about that. What's it going to take if you get out of your comfort zone? Bill Bright, Campus to Save for Christ, has 2% of all American Christians share their faith on a regular basis. Does that sound like the book of Acts to you? It's like the book of Acts to me. Promise Keepers just said that 90% of all Christian men have never shared their faith one single time. So it's like uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to you, Paul to you, Peter to you. What have we done? We've, we formed a type of Christianity in 2003 that did not exist 2,000 years ago. We've made sharing our faith an optional part of Christianity. It was never an optional part. It was what we were living for to see 6 billion people saved. Does your heart beat that way? What's it going to take to get out of your comfort zone? I hear there's already people out of their comfort zone here at this school, okay? I'm going to challenge you to get farther out. If you're not out of your comfort zone, I'm about to challenge you to get out of it, okay, and to stay out of it. What's it going to take for that to happen? <clears throat> How many more American soldiers do you need to see on TV with a bullet hole in the back of their head after they've been executed over in Iraq before you can get out of your comfort zone? I was on a plane flight two months ago to uh, Colorado Springs, and I sat with a whole group of soldiers from Fort Carson. They were just flying back. They were in Iraq for a while, and as we were on the plane, I sat next to a soldier and got to talk with him the entire plane flight. Fifteen of their fellow soldiers uh, were killed dead in Iraq, never made it back. We had a great talk on the flight. When we got off the plane, there were all these uh, wives and, and uh, girlfriends waiting on the soldiers when they come off. It was a really cool reunion, and all of a sudden it hit me. There's 15 people, 15 wives and girlfriends that did not need to come to the airport that day because their boyfriend or their husband did not make it back from Iraq. What's it going to take to get out of your comfort zone? Anyone died here at Cedarville? Anyone died here? Nod your head, yes or no. Anyone died here in the last couple of years? Okay, think about that. I just spoke at the University of Florida the other day, 800 college students. Said, anyone died here at your school? They said, yeah. I said, when? They said, yesterday. Atlanta, Georgia, where I live at, we had 24 teenagers dead in four months. 24. That's crazy. University of Georgia had 11 students die in one semester. 11 people your age die in one semester. What's it going to take to get out of your comfort zone? 
One thing that happened to me was I was teaching Bible at a Christian high school. I walked into a bathroom at 8.35 in the morning after a 15-year-old student had put a gun in his mouth and pulled the trigger. When you walk into a bathroom at 8.35 in the morning with a 15-year-old boy laying in a pool of blood that looks like a scene from a Hollywood movie, you have some serious questions to ask yourself. You're still going to keep living the same old, same old mediocre Christian life, Mark Cahill? You're going to start getting out of your comfort zone and start serving the God of this universe like you're supposed to? I had some serious questions to ask myself. That's one of the defining characteristics in my life to get out of my comfort zone and start standing up for what I believe no matter what the cost. Is there a cost when you stand up for it? Is there a cost when you stand up for it? Is there a cost when you stand up for it? You better believe there's a cost for it. Jesus Christ knew it, but he knew his dad was worth it. The question is, when am I going to get to the point that I know my God is worth it? No matter what the cost. Every second, seven people die. By the time you put your head on your pillow tonight, over 600,000 people have walked off in eternity, heaven or hell as we speak. Simple question for you, Cedarville. Do you care? Much tougher question, though. Okay? Do you care enough to do something about it? That's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of days. Good job. <clears throat> so, that's my question, church. Do we care to do something enough about it? So we are. There's not, I, I'm not going to say there's not um, some challenges and some um, things that are going to be coming up against you to take the time away to invest in discipling and training and learning how to witness. But do you care enough about the loss to do something about it? We can say it. Oh, yeah. I'm going to pray for people. What are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? Because the truth is life's but a vapor. I don't know if you understand, but some people, are, you're a little irritated when I show that video. They're like, it's annoying watching that guy snap. Okay, so every time, do you understand what he's snapping for? How irritating is that snapping now? That many people die every year, and yet we are freaked out and closing down this whole government and the whole world. Over very compared to that, a small number. And I believe strongly there's a spirit behind that to get the church to shut their mouth, to close up, do not go and evangelize. This is temporary. We're talking about eternal things. Amen? Amen. So, as you hear and more of this coming up, I would encourage you to, to um, and I got to say, I was a little, I know, I know the times we're in are challenging and people are like, I don't know if I can do this or that and do we care enough? Here's where I'm at. I don't know when the next time we'll be able to meet together. Here's reality, church. Like, we don't know. Like, I don't know when the next time we're going to be able to have an opportunity to train people to be able to evangelize. I don't know how much time we have left to do it. I know when we get to heaven, you won't have an opportunity again. Can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine? I mean... Oh my gosh, I should have. I wish I could have, would have. We have that time here now. Amen? Amen. So, I know that's kind of heavy, but it, it is just a reality. He has saved you, set you free. You were bought with a price. And you were in a free country to share your faith. People all around the world are sharing their faith at a very high cost. And we're free to do it. So we better do it while we can. Amen? If you can't do it now, are you going to do it when you're faced with... And a lot of people think like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll lay down my life for you, Lord. 
Really? Like, we won't lay our down, down our life now. It'd be uncomfortable to share our faith, most of us. But somehow, shape, or form, we just think all of a sudden we're going to get the spirit of boldness come upon us when, the, when it gets hard. And you guys, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. Amen? I love you guys. Like, you're here. Everyone else is telling you you shouldn't be here. But you're here. So go to the next level. Go to the next level. Go to the next level. Share your faith. Be bolder. Get out of your comfort zone even more. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to talk a little bit about a church this morning that was out of their comfort zone, that was uh, doing some things very well, but there was a but in the story. <laughs> Amen? How many know, like, that's like us. The Lord, the Lord has a lot of things. He'll say, Steve, I'm proud of you. You're doing some things well, but there's a but. Right? So these letters are... are or for the church of Thyatira this week, um, but they're also, as we've been seeing, it's to the churches for all of us and, and for us specifically. Are you the church? Amen. So how many of you have been learning some things through, this, through going through these churches? You see the importance of the letters to the churches in the last days? How many of you see things a little differently after you realize that God's shaping me? God is honing me. He's carving me. He's Knocking out some things. There's some things he's doing that I don't really fully understand, but now I can trust you a little bit more, Lord. Like, I know you've got a plan for me. Amen? So this week, we're going we're gonna, to um, go over Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. John says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Dude, that's big. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself, here we go, self-appointed prophets again, who calls herself a prophetess. Now, I got to stop before we get too far into this. He's not talking and slamming anything about Jezebel because she's a female. You must understand this. There's going to be people, and there has been, like, oh, see? No, stop it. It's because what this lady is representing and doing. And it wasn't specifically Jezebel. I don't even know that that was her name. I believe what Jesus is saying is that she's like Jezebel. Amen. Could be that her name. I highly doubt it. I think after Jezebel, do you know any Jezebels? I think we, where's my sister? She's out getting coffee or something. I think we named a cat or she named a cat. I wouldn't even name a cat. But I think she named a cat Jezebel. It was a rat. It was a rat. That was fair enough. <laughs> That's a good name. Or a snake, right? A rat or a snake, name that sucker Jezebel. But you don't know a person named Jezebel. So I don't know, like, you're going to... And we'll get into why, like, the most evil woman to ever be on this planet. You don't call someone, which I'm going to say now, too, like, it's really trendy in this day and age for people to run around and throw out the spirit of Jezebel. Oh, you're the spirit of Jezebel. This church has the spirit of Jezebel. Oh, you have the spirit of Jezebel. You better be careful. Stop it. If you don't understand what is behind that, that is a curse. I've had people say that this church, this church is on the spirit of Jezebel. It's like, 
Stop it. You know even what we're saying. So it's not having to do with because she's a female. That there's a, you're tolerating something. Verse 20. Who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. Who, who is she leading astray? Christians. Bondservants. Here's a little, that kind of messes up your once saved, always saved. I'm going to mess it up a whole lot more as we just keep reading. These are people who are believed so-called bondservants. That's what Paul called himself, a bondservant of Christ. Leading bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness. And who? Those who commit adultery with her. Into what? Great tribulation. Unless they repent of her deeds. Bondservants. Not only her, them. Bed of sickness and great tribulation. That word is only ever used when it's talking about the great tribulation. Hello? Is this serious? Woo! And I will kill her children with pestilence. That means her followers. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, here's, here's back to good. This is to those who aren't following Jezebel or tolerating Jezebel. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things. And I think this is a play on words that, you know, there's, there's a lot of people even today, like they want to, we want to teach, I'm going to teach you the deep things. Like this, this, you know, this is beginner Christianity stuff. Like I've got this really big breakdown knowledge of this, some really deep stuff. Like you need to be listening to my teaching. Like I got all these deep things. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like that's real trendy. Like, I don't know if you know all of what Jesus is teaching through this is like, hey, go back and do your first things again. He doesn't tell anyone to go do, hey, wait, I need, so we need to take you guys to get into some really deep teachings. I've been accused myself of like, well, Pastor Steve, like, yeah, he's okay, but he, you know, he's pretty shy. He doesn't go real deep. Well, praise the Lord. That's a compliment. Thank you very much. Because the deep things here aren't sounding too good. If we're not doing the basic things, like, that's why they take you to basic training. Like, guess what happens? If you don't learn the basic things, you know what happens? You don't graduate. You're going to go through that again until you get it. Amen? The deep things of Satan. It's like, here, you want to know some deep things? This is where these deep things are coming from, as they call them. Don't you love how, like, people call things something, but Jesus, like, he'll call it what it is. He's like, here's some deep things. Like, yeah, they're from Satan. How you like we now? Like, Jesus don't play. 
says, I place no other burden on you. Don't you love him? He don't place burdens on us. If we have a burden, like he'll place burden for people's salvation, but you have a burden of fear. You have a burden of like, that's not from him. He says, my yoke's easy. My burden's light. Amen. He's not placing some burden like that on us because what you, verse 25, nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes and he who keeps my, my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Woo. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear. Now I'm going to stop for a second. You're going to notice something from this letter forward, and I don't know why, like it's one of those mysteries, but up until this letter, the, the, the admonition or the encouragement, and this is what I'm going to do, and then the him that has an ears, let him hear, comes after. The first, these first three letters, from this point on, it flips. Like before, it seemed like it was, I'm like, that should be at the end. It's ahead in all the previous three, so it's kind of interesting. I don't know what the, what the rhyme or the reason is. I, I will someday. But if someone else wants to study that and figure it out, and if you got some good things on that, I'm love, love to hear it. I haven't discovered it yet. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, previously, you would hear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then it would be, and I will give him the morning star. I will give him, you know, it's just very interesting. I don't, I don't know what it is yet. So, but don't, don't hang up on that. It's just, just a fun little fact that I, I stumble on these little things and go, hmm. So let me tell you a little about, about the history of Thyatira. I like looking into the history, and it kind of gives you an understanding of what these kind of folks were like. And um, So Thyatira was a small town located more inland from Pergamos and southeast. So Pergamos was more on the northern part. The first two um, churches were on coastal. Then Pergamos was inland a little bit. Uh, and now this church is further, about 35 miles more inland, and starting to come down south. So when, by the time we're done, it's going to be like an upside-down U. Or like an N, the, the range of the churches. So, small town located inland, 35 miles southeast of Pergamum in Asia Minor. Its name meant daughter. Now, this is a blue-collar town constructed in a valley with many trade routes running through it. It had a very strong garrison and a melting pot of cultures and people. There was nothing grand or extraordinary about Thyatira. Like a lot of these other cities, they were just beautiful. They had these mausoleums or just huge, um, beautiful temples and all kinds. Thyatira, not so much, just a blue-collar town. Trade routes, lots of, uh, lots of roads coming in and out. Um, a garrison, so it was very, you know, middle class, um, hardworking. Um, the people there had formed themselves into various trade guilds, which is like unions, the people there had joined themselves in all kinds of different trade guilds and unions um, and of potters, uh, tanners, weavers, rope makers, and dyers. Lydia, some of you remember um, Lydia from um, um, Acts, the seller of purple material who Paul met in Philippi, was from Thyatira. She actually established, that church started getting established in her home. Lydia was had some, you know, was, was an entrepreneur, had some money, helped really um, get the, the church started there and helped Paul in his ministry. You read that in uh, the beginning of Philippians and in Acts. Um, 
So she's from this place. Um, it, was, it was challenging. This is a very challenging place for, for the Christians who worked there because most of the trade guilds or the unions had different um, gods to whom they were represented or worshipped. So each one of these different unions, each one of these groups that you would part, um, be partakers of with these different folks, um, each one of them a lot of times had a different god that was like in charge or they, that was like their symbol of that um, trade union or, and they were, you know, they'd have feasts. They would um, celebrate things together. And so it was very challenging as a Christian to not be a part of that. Um, when they, it was a necessity for guild membership. So it makes it, it makes it very challenging to not compromise. How many of you know it's like one thing to not compromise, but when, it, when it's your bread and butter on your table, that's a whole nother deal, right? It, it, if you didn't partake or if you weren't a part of that union, you didn't go. How many know, like, if you're not a part of the upper echelon and even companies or businesses, if you have some bosses and it's like, in order to move up the ladder, you got to go hang out with the boys or ladies. If you want to move up, there's some things you might have to compromise, like, well, she's a Christian or he's a Christian. So, like, you're not going to go to the gentleman's club. You know, if that's where this boss likes to go and, like, hang out with his buddies and be like, hey, so, like, let's talk some business. And you're like, sorry, Charlie. That's my dog's name. So every time I say it now, it kind of makes me laugh. Um, sorry, Charlie. Like, it's not happening. That's going to probably cost you. Amen? Not a whole lot has changed. We want to think, like, oh, it's so hard today. And we, we got all this. It was the same back then. So um, it, was, it was very challenging to not participate in the frequent pagan feasts and immorality. This was some, I'm not going to get into it, but there's a lot of twisted stuff that was going on. We think it's bad now. Not a whole lot different. There was a lot of very interesting things that would go on in practices that was um, considered normal. So getting into the letter, um, the, the title, as, as Jesus has, and we've seen in the past, how he has called himself and identified himself is very important to the letter. Um, we see here, that Jesus in, in uh, verse 18 says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are burnished like bronze, says. This is the first time in, in Revelation, I think it's one of the only times, that this title he called the Son of God. This is very important, I believe, um, and, and since we're getting re, um, close to Christmas, it's good to remember that, that Jesus is drawing attention to his deity, and his, um, though he came on the scene as a real man, you know, a lot of, a lot, even John, even a lot of people got used to seeing Jesus just as a human. And there's, you can get really kind of twisted. There's, there's some interesting things that are flo floating around today on, uh, going too far. And Jesus was like really man and he was completely stripped of his godness and like, no, Jesus was a hundred percent man. And he's 100% God. He's a God-man. There's only been one. <laughs> so, but we want to try to, and I think Jesus is really wanting this church and, and for us to understand, like, the Son of God says. Now, the, the, here, how I would interpret, um, he, Jesus emptied himself of the outward signs of his glory. Okay, like, you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, like, the Father glorified Jesus, and they got to see for a little glimpse of, like, and they were like, whoa, like, this is amazing. Like, Jesus didn't walk around in his full glory because he's God. And people would be dropping like flies, right? So he, 
emptied himself of the outward, but he didn't change who he was as God, being, a, being God incarnate. Amen? Do you understand? So that's, that's something just, just I want to top just a little bit because I don't want us to get, don't, that's something that when it starts going sideways, yeah, you might not want to eat everything that's being fed to you. You hear me? All right. I'm not saying that, like, there's some folks that are into it. It doesn't mean they're full-blown, like I call them a cult, or I call them like, man, you can't, you can't call them a brother or a sister. They just got a different little twist on that, and I don't. I don't. He's, anytime you don't get 100% man, 100% God, there's error, okay? He always kept his divine nature and power. I, I want to highlight that he draws attention to having eyes as flames of fire. Now, this doesn't mean that his, that um, even in the beginning, and he's referencing early on in Revelation 1, that his eyes were actually flames of fire. Could be. It's a simile, I believe. Just like you could say, like, someone's crazy as a fox. Doesn't mean that they're a fox, but they're crazy like a fox. Like, so I believe, and it could be that maybe they are just eyes of fire, just, you know, flaming fire. Here's what I really think what, what the, um, we're, we should learn from this is though he can see, Jesus' eyes can see through and burn away a lot of stuff. He's the son of God. Like, a lot of us, we will, we will put stuff up, walls, cover ourselves, disguise ourselves, put things in front of things. And I believe he's saying, like, the son of God who has eyes of fire, like, his eyes, when he looks at us, it cuts through. It's like, like, remember the Superman movies? It doesn't take, it, 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 it's not, it's, whew, he sees right through it. His eyes are piercing. They burn with fire. They're holy. It, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to deceive him or hide from him. He, he cuts through and, and, and hides and dis- exposes all the covering of sin that we try to do. Hello? Like, how many know, when you come into the presence of the Lord, all that stuff, it gets instantly exposed. When you come into his presence, you begin to pray, it's like, and you got to be like, we got to get this dealt with or we're not going any further. Amen? How many of you have those experiences? I don't know, like, sometimes I'm like, does God, am I the only one sometimes? Because he's like, we're not talking, dude. Like, yeah, I know you want to talk to me, but we got, like, we, you haven't finished the conversation we had last time. Like, I'm like, yeah, but I put that over here. I see it. Amen? You're not fooling him. He's got eyes as flames of fire. He burns away all the covering. And anyone who thinks they can hide from him is deceiving themselves. (laughs) That's what he wants us to see. I have eyes of fire. Like, you can't. You can't hide from me. You can't deceive me. I'm undeceivable. My eyes burn with fire. Like all that stuff, it's poof, gone. You're left with, if it's gold, silver, precious stones, it's going to stand. If it's hay, if it's weeds, if it ain't eternal, gone. Amen? Amen? Now, we know this because we've seen a couple different people um, think that they could do this. Like, remember Adam? I mean, I'm just going to go just a little ways back. 
Like, remember Adam? <laughs> what did he do? Like, oh, let's just make some fig leaves. <laughs> we got this. Eyes of fire, like, yeah, nice try, guys. Not going to work. Remember Elijah? Which we're going to get into. The most amazing, like, this dude is, oh, Jesus is my hero. Elijah's right under there. Like, Elijah's the man. Like, this dude is no joke. But he goes from calling fire down from heaven to Jezebel saying, like, I'm going to take him out just like you did my, and he's, like, scared and go and hides himself. And God starts shaking things. God starts, and there's a still small voice. He's letting Elijah like, hey, Elijah, I see you. <laughs> right? He has eyes of fires, guys. He, he sees through all that stuff. He sees through our excuses. They're lame. <laughs> Every single excuse, it's lame. It's the most lame excuse ever when you bring it before a God with eyes of fire. He sees our heart. He's like, you may be trying to deceive yourself. I'm not deceived. Having feet. Listen, and I, I want you, why I'm hitting this, because I want you to, he's identifying himself this way for a purpose as we get going forward. Having feet, like the finest polished bronze. You know, and just, he, he just randomly just says stuff. It's just randomly, because we're like, what? Feet like finest polished bronze. And most of it, we just keep reading. Okay, whatever. Whatever that means. Like, I'm like, what is that? So here's what I come up with. This is the best of my study on this. There's no, what he wanted us to see, there was no impurity or contamination in his feet. Well, what does your feet represent? Your walk. He said, I'm the son of God. I'm the one who has eyes of fires. I'm the one who, like, I came to this earth. I put on your flesh and blood. I put on your earth suit, and I walked it out perfectly in impurity. That's speaking a little different, ain't it? He wants us to understand that. There's no impurity or contamination in my walk on earth. There was none. That's so encouraging to me that I can talk to a God, and he was the sacrificial lamb that paid the price for me, and he was perfect in every way. And he walked this walk. He put on this body, this flesh. He's always been completely free from sin, and he's able to bring judgment on sin. That brass represents judgment. As we see throughout Scripture, every time brass represents judgment. So he is saying, I have eyes of fire that can see through all those excuses, all those lame things, and I have feet that are pure brass. They're not mixed. The other cool thing with brass is it doesn't conduct electricity. Like it doesn't, you can have brass in this metal in other places, it won't spark or cause there to be um, any problems. It's a really neat, interesting part of brass. So it doesn't cause static. I was like, hmm, my feet cause some static. Jesus can walk through that with eyes of fire and bring judgment, and it's not causing any static, which tells me it's like, we're not arguing with it. You're not, there's no static. There's no resistance against his judgment, against his truth that he brings. There's no resistance or static. It doesn't cause, now we can cause sparks amongst ourselves, but when the one who can see with eyes of fire through all of that right into our heart, and he brings the judgment, you go, you're right. 
Maybe he knows us. Maybe he knows that this church and us might want to go, but that ain't so, Lord. Just letting you know ahead of time. I see it all. My judgments are pure and right. And I've walked this walk. That's encouraging. All right, point two that I want us to look at starts around verse 19. He says, I know your deeds. We serve a God who knows us. It knows us extremely well. He knows our deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. This is good news. Like, this is such a healthy church. Like, if, if this is read about the church I'm pastoring, and this is, I'm saying, thank you, Jesus. Now, let me expound a little bit. Unlike the church of Ephesus, Thyatira had not left their first love. He goes right in and says, I know your deeds and your love. I know your love. There's no but with the love. Their love provoked. Here's the first thing he spots, and then it provokes things. It provokes, I believe, he says, I, I see your love. I see that your love has provoked service, ministry gifts, and acts of worship. I see this thing about it. I see this in your church. Do we see this in ourselves? Their worship services must have brought glory to God. When, when Thyatira got together and they worshiped the Lord, it had to bring glory to God. He said, I see your love. I see, I see your faith. I see your service. I see that you're growing. So this is a healthy thing. Their, their services of worship brought glory to God. And people, I would imagine, that would come to attend church at Thyatira, they would be blessed. They would be like, man, I, this is good. This is, this is a good thing. Amen? Like, that's a good place when, when God said, I see your love. It, it, you haven't lost it. You haven't left it. I see your faith. I see your service that you've put in. I see your perseverance. You, you've went through some hard things, and you're still going forward. Like, that's a healthy church. That's a good place to come and worship. People who were coming were blessed. This, this church would have had to have had a heart for the poor, the downtrodden, the widows, the orphans. This is a healthy church. Their faith and their faithfulness was solid and recognized by the Lord. This is good. They're recognized for their patient endurance. This is good. They're recognized for being steadfast, for their perseverance in the midst of hard work and suffering. They didn't have it easy. They're hardworking people. And they're still being faithful. They're still coming. They're still serving. They're still putting other people ahead of themselves. The Lord recognizes that. This, and I would say, this level of commitment, this level of where this church is at, it can only come from having fellowship with the Lord. Because he calls these, even the ones that are gone straight, bond servants. That's, that's not a light title. There was an increase, and this is the biggest one that got my attention. He compliments, says, there's an increase of your commitment. There's an increase of your level of love. There's an increase. It has grown. Now, this is so important to the church and to every one of us. It's not so much how you start. Amen? Like, I've seen lots of people start off, and you can see it in business. You can see it as a, as a Christian. You can see it. They start off as gangbusters, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to take over the world. I'm going to save the every, I'm going to... Don't even worry about it. I got this. I'm going to save the world. Like, just sit back and watch. Two weeks later, 
Not this church. They're growing, getting stronger, like old Rocky, getting stronger. Running through the sand, they're building up. Jesus is like, yeah. They're not getting weaker. I mean, that's just something to say about churches. Like, is the church getting stronger? Is the church getting weaker? Like, if you look and measure against the church of Acts, like, does it resemble that? Does it resemble Jesus? Is it resembling Jesus more or is it resembling him less? This church is resembling him more. They're getting stronger in all their ways in their walk. Yay, that's awesome. Verse 20. But, but, man, we're not going to get too far in this. But you tolerate Jezebel. Now, this is really interesting. I want to really hone on the word for a second, tolerate. You tolerate her. Now, I want to tell you a little something about Jezebel. The history of who she is is very important and of the things that she does. She was the daughter. She comes from being the daughter of Eth Baal, a king of Sidon, and he was a priest of Astarte. So she comes from royalty, she comes from a king, and she comes from her dad being a priest of a false god, a pagan god. Now, this man who was her father, this king, he murdered his predecessor to get the throne. That's, that's what she grew up in. His name was Felix, whom he, or her dad killed Felix, who he killed to seize the throne. She married King Ahab. And it was done so that they would, they would seal a profitable trade alliance. So, it'd be, so there'd be prosperity, there'd be financial success. Um, it was all about money. Money and power. She goes on, and, and, and as she becomes the, the queen, she marries King Ahab to, to make an alliance between Israel and Phoenicia. And she sets out immediately to exterminate all the prophets of God. This lady does not play. She's like, because she's, she's all about being, she serves pagan gods. She serves Baal and Estera, like, hardcore. Like, she has, like, 450 um, prophets. Actually, there's 850 that, that sit around her table, false prophets. She ain't going mess around. She sets out to wipe out all of the prophets of God. You can read about this in 1 Kings. She had great power and control. Think about the power she has. She, she is the queen of Israel. That's some power. And control. She is a master of control. She has control of the king, which you see as you read that she has full control of the king and 850 prophets. That's a small army. She has power and control. She was committed. Here's, here's something that I see in her. She's committed to getting what she wants at any means necessary. Like slander, manipulation, lying. She did whatever it took to get that land from Naboth. Her husband went away sad. 
because there was a vineyard that was right out, right in front of the palace, real close by, and he wanted to buy it. He wanted, he wanted to make that a plot of ground where he'd have a garden, and he told Naboth, hey, let me buy that garden. Well, Naboth knew, like, this is an inheritance from my fathers, from my family. That was, it was inheritance that came when they took the land. It's like, I can't, sell, I can't sell this land. It's part of my inheritance. This is what God has given us. I can't sell this. So the king goes away all sad, and he's just, you know, crying, not eating. He's not eating. I mean, he's just full-blown, big old pout. Well, Jezebel goes, what's up, what's up with the king? Like, why is the king all, goes, well, Naboth won't sell me that vineyard. Like, she goes, get up and eat. I'll take care of that. She goes and just falsifies documents, signs her husband names to a bunch of stuff, goes and has Naboth presented charges brought against him that weren't true. Has these two people come up alongside of him, false prophesy, give false things about him. He gets killed. And it, what doesn't say in the Bible, but what would have happened is the rest of the heirs had to have been killed for that land then to be able to go to the king. So all of this happens. This is Jezebel. So now that's Old Testament Jezebel. So when Jesus says, you tolerate this woman Jezebel, Whoa. Didn't even say, like, you are this woman Jezebel. You're allowing Jezebel to operate in the church. You're allowing Jezebel to prophesy in the church. You're allowing Jezebel to bring people away from me. She's preaching another gospel. She's a false prophet. You're allowing her to do that. This is a healthy church. That's a big but. But you tolerate Jezebel. Now, I want to read some passages of Scripture about Jezebel. First, First Kings 21, 25. Now, this is about her husband. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did, which is Jezebel's husband, as Ahab did under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. Boy, think about no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil. This is the Bible saying there has never been anyone else who has sold themselves so completely to evil. As Ahab did. How did that happen? Jezebel. Woo. Some of the commentators, when I was studying about the, the Jezebel, they're talking about in the, in the book of Revelation to Thyatira. They said it may have been the pastor's wife. It may have been like such a prominent person that was that's like maybe that's why it was being allowed. But it doesn't have to be the pastor's wife. Like there's been I've seen in different churches, there's plenty of people that like they hold such a high importance place that people are like they, they follow whatever they say and like, oh, what's what's the word? Like and it's very interesting to me because it's like, like, don't even follow me. I'm your pastor. I, I'm not like I don't hold that much importance. Now, I can say follow me as I follow Christ. But. My word is not stronger than this. Hello? Nobody's word stronger than this. Like, it's so wild to me in this day and age that we have all these authors and people want to write all these books. And they're like, here, let me, let me tell you the deeper things. Like, what about this? It's almost like this is like, don't worry about that. Like, here, I'll, I'll, I'll make all this so much clearer for you. I'll show you what the Holy Spirit's saying. No, I don't need your help. Now, don't get me wrong. There is some very good books. There's some very good authors that will help with the word. 
that bring light to it. But there's like a difference of like someone that's going on this, I'm, so, I'm something. And they have such an influence over people. Hello? Like I've seen this control that people can carry. It's amazing. Like, like everyone starts, I've watched it, they start dressing like them. They start talking like them. They start preaching like them. They start sounding like them. And there's a bunch of these clones. That's not the Holy Spirit. Because they all don't look like Jesus. They all look like that guy. Now, if you all start shaving your head bald and like, I'm going to be like, hey, what's going on here? No one's doing that. So praise the Lord. You guys are healthy. Here's a, here's a little something that I want us to look at. Remember in Pergamum, and, and all these churches, they were struggling with compromise. In Pergamum, the compromising pressure was coming from the outside. Remember? It was like the throne of Satan. Like you sit at Satan's seat. There was this pressure of, to compromise with this world, and it was all from the outside. But this church, to Thyatira, the pressure to compromise is coming from inside. A lot different. Because the leaders are allowing Jezebel and tolerating that false doctrine, tolerating her to have access inside the church. That should be a really good warning for us, like in this day and age, do not allow that. Like it is for me, like I'm not allowing that. Like that ain't going to be happening. Jezebel pops up, hey Jezebel, you got to go. And I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be a female, you hear me? It can be a man. It's a spirit. There's no gender on that. I've seen guys act like that. Like, no, you guys to go. There's been time, there's been people want to build their own little, like, here, this two people, like, here, you need to hear what I have to say. And they, they draw people away. I watched it here. They draw people away from, here's the flock. Here's, here's the teaching. Here's the, the milk. Here's the meat. And they want to have this little group outside. And, and here's my followers. Hey, Jezebel, it ain't going to fly here. That, that ain't going to fly. Like, I'm not going to allow that. I'm not going to tolerate that. Because this was a very healthy church, but you're tolerating Jezebel. Amen? It was the same compromise as Pergamos. Isn't that interesting when we go through? It's the same exact things that these churches are falling into. It's just coming from a different way. That just shows you the devil's sneaky. If he can't get you to compromise from the outside, he'll try to get someone on the inside. And how many, how many um, cults, I can name a few, says, well, the, we got the message. It came from this man, and he got it from an angel, and he appeared as an angel of light. And I'm like, hello? The Bible says Satan comes and appears as an angel of light. So there, there goes, follow me. And they take these people that had this heart to want to serve God in their sincerity, and they Take him off. Satan's clever. He will masquerade himself very religiously if he needs to. He goes inside the church, but before long, and by a woman in leadership who was leading the church into immorality and fornication. And I don't just mean um, fornication as you think. Anything, fornication is like when you leave your God, you leave God, and you start worshiping something else. Fornication is when you leave the truth that you know he has spoken and then you follow someone else and they're leading you into a deeper truth. 
deeper revelation. Well, let me, you see, I, I know that's what it says, but that was only for them. Like, now, it's this way. And the Lord showed me. The Lord told me. I had a vision. The Lord showed me a vision. The Lord gave me a word. And now, now, there's more prophets on TV and on the internet. And I, stop it. I had someone the other day ask me, like, well, well, who do you listen to? Like, who are you following? Who? I'm like, nah, not nobody, really. I mean, I, I said, I really liked David Wilkerson. That dude was a prophet. I was able to evaluate, like, things he said, they came to pass. Like, all these people today, they're throwing, I mean, every other day there's a new prophecy. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's true or not. I've got something. I'm still chewing on it. I don't know. I, like, I'm not giving them my, like, oh, yeah, this... Do you hear me sponsor prophets? Do you hear me sponsor? Like, you guys need to get behind this guy. Not unless I know the fruit. Now, I hope you're, I'm not saying all these prophets are of God. Like, prophecy is from the Lord. It's beautiful. And, there, and there's prophets. Here's who I allow to prophesy. People that I know. I know their walk. I see the fruit of their life. I see that it's not just words. Their actions are in line with the word of God, with the authority of God. That's who we want to listen to. That's who I'm going to give some. Yeah, I'm listening to that. I'm, I get sent so much stuff, and a lot of times I'm like, I don't know. If I feel the Holy Spirit go, listen to that. All right. Even then, just because it says listen to it doesn't mean I'm to buy into it. So, I hope you hear me. I'm not against prophecy. Prophecy is from the Lord. But the enemy always will pervert anything that God has for us. And then the pastors and the leaders of Thyatira were allowing it to happen. Because she was a self-proclaimed prophet. Well, I'm a prophet. I've got a message. I'm a prophet. This is what the Lord said. Now, it's okay it's okay if you go, like, you're in the union. What are you supposed to do? you got to put food on the table. The Lord understands that. You can go to the feast. Just don't, just don't, like, don't kiss the ring. Like, but it's okay. Well, what did the Lord say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Like, he don't play with that. Like, don't worship any graven images. Now, this is a whole other thing that I'll get to at some point um, about the age of this church and the church age. Well, in the dark ages, which is this church age, really specific, um, that's where you see all of the, the church. And at that time, it was the Roman Catholic Church was the biggest, the church. You see all these idols coming in and, and worshiping this statue and this statue and this statue. And if you're Catholic, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but this is just the reality of this is what starts happening. Well, it's okay. No. No, it's not. That's when all that changed. There wasn't statues. There wasn't in the church, and then, and then it started changing. Now, I'm not saying Catholic. Hear my heart. I know some Catholic folks. They're spirit-filled. They love the Lord. They're faithful to God. They're right with God. He's saying we're not supposed to worship anything except for Jesus. If you start worshiping that cross, you're wrong. Like, they started, the children of Israel started worshiping the pole. That was, look at this. 
and you'll see the serpent on the pole, and you'll be healed. They started worshiping that thing. You know what they did? They ground it into powder. Done with this. Like, you're not worshiping that. God don't like people worshiping anything but him. So when a prophet says, oh, it's okay, you can go do that, and now you're fornicating with other gods or other things and putting God's name on it, whoo. And it's really bad when pastors and leaders are allowing it and tolerating it. Now, I'm going to show you someone who was a prophet in that day and age of Jezebel. I tell you what he didn't do. He didn't tolerate it. His name was Elijah. Elijah was in the same day as Jezebel, the same day of Ahab, a prophet of God. Elijah didn't, didn't even a little bit, not even a little bit. Like you'd see other kings and other kings like they're like, yeah, I worship God, but we have some Asher- poles and there's some Baals and there's some other things. Like they mix it. It's okay. Like that's the trying to mix the two. This is like trying to mix the two. Like, well, I can have this, and I can have my God. And Elijah's like, check this out. So 1 Kings 18, verse 4 says, For when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by 15 in a cave and provided them with bread and water. Now, Obadiah is is with King Ahab, and and King Ahab, um, if you guys go read all these chapters, you go through and, and... Elijah presents himself to Obadiah and says, hey, go tell the king, like, we want to talk. And, and Obadiah's like, what? Like, I, this, is, this is what kind of a man of God Elijah was. Obadiah's like, I am not going to go talk to King Ahab and tell him that you're here because the Spirit of the Lord is going to take you somewhere else. And then you ain't going to be there, and then he's going to kill me. Like, that's an option. <laughs> Elijah's, dude, this dude's bad. He's like, so he has to tell Obadiah, like, look, no, I'm telling you, I want to talk to him. I'll be here. The Spirit of the Lord's not going to take me away. I'll be here. So, so they meet. When they meet, 1 Kings 18.4 says, when, when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, or my bad, 1 Kings 18.15-21, says, then Elijah says, and, and Elijah, he don't talk like, he's not afraid of Ahab. He's not afraid of the pagans. He's not afraid of, he, he knows who his God is. He says, then Elijah said, as surely as the Lord of armies lives, before whom I stand, I will certainly present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and informed him. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, the cause of disaster to Israel? And he, Elijah said, I have not brought disaster to Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send orders. That, do you hear Elijah? This guy and his wife are killing prophets like crazy, and he's not like, well, we better be, you know, I, got, I, got, I don't want to offend him. And he comes off, oh, you're the one who's messing up Israel. Elijah's like, dude, this, you guys have jacked this thing up from the beginning. Like, you're the cause of God's wrath. Like, let me tell you something. Now, now he tells the king, now you go and tell. You go get all these folks together. There's some authority on him. He ain't playing with this paganism he ain't playing he ain't compromised he's not like hey king here's the deal like i'm a prophet of god like can't we let's just get along here like you live over here do your thing i'm gonna live over here do my thing and we'll call it good or better yet like today's days like well i like this about your paganism i'll take a little bit of that give me two parts of that we'll give you a part of this and like let's let's coexist let's coexist 
Elijah's not having, Elijah's not having no part of this. Elijah don't tolerate Jezebel. Are you hearing me? I believe in this day and age that, that the Lord is raising up some Elijahs. Hello? I believe the spirit of Elijah is coming on the scene. I believe there's a strong Jezebel spirit. There's a strong uh, paganism that's coming on. And I believe in this day and age, in the times that we're in, God is raising up Elijah. God is raising up the spirit, and it is coming on strong. I believe this season, as it gets dark, and in this day and age, oh, my Lord, it was, it was, there was no other, the worst time in Old Testament history for Israel, the most evil, pagan, wrong, Israel was off the hook, the worst ever, is during this time with Ahab and Jezebel, but you see the mighty miracles of God happening at the same time. God, God knows where we're at. God is not scared of any of that. God's like, all right, you want to turn the darkness up? Watch this. Amen? But you're not going to compromise. Elijah, like, I guarantee you, a lot of people didn't like Elijah. Elijah, you're a troublemaker. Elijah, would you just get in line? Elijah, would you just do what you're being told? Elijah, everyone else is doing this. What's your problem, Elijah? Elijah's like, so check this out. Go get your priest. I ain't, I ain't getting in line. Today we're going to see who's God's God. This is what he does. So guess what? He says, now send the order and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with the 450 prophets of Baal and her 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. He's like, yeah, guess what? I know about you too. Go get those 400, that other 450, and uh, go get the children of Israel, and we're going to Mount Carmel. Guess what happened? I wish I had the time. Man, I don't have time. I got to let you go. <laughs> he uses this term. We'll get into it after Christmas. He uses this term, though, when he, when he calls attention to Israel. He says, how long are you going to go limping between two opinions? How long are you going to be limping between two opinions? That's what he does. He brings them all out there and he says, how long are you going to... Because, see, they were wanting to mix both. They were going back and forth, like, listening to the prophets of Baal and a story, and, oh, yeah, and I'm listening to the Lord. And, and, and in the Baal worship, they did this, like, limping thing. They would limp... And as you read, like, he's, he starts making fun, like, well, maybe you need to be, like, a little bit louder and going on. But he called, he, and this is, what, this, is what, this is what the God, I believe, is saying to the, the church today, that we need to glean. How long are you going to limp between two opinions? And he don't matter, he says, make a decision today. You're going to serve God, you're going to follow God, and what he says is so, or follow Baal. And let's see who's God's real. How long, church, are we going to limp between two opinions? That limping season's over. I don't know if you're getting this. God is allowing these circumstances to cut and divide. Even the church. You've got people like, oh, we shouldn't do this, and oh, you're this, and oh. Mix all you want. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to give an account to the Lord. And you might think, whatever, this is what I know. I'm going to give an account to the Lord, and I'm going to do my best to lead you rightly, because you're all going to give an account too, and I am not going to tolerate Jezebel. 
I'm not going to go along and be like, yeah, it's okay if we mix this and that and the other. And if people are trying to do that, I'm going to say, hey, you need to go somewhere else with that. I don't care who else, and I don't care what other churches are doing, what I don't care what they're doing, the prophets are saying on this, and how many followers they have, and how, many, how much money they're making, I don't care. I don't. And I'm not doing, I'm not, and I hope you, I'm not saying that to try to be somebody. I'm not. I'm nobody. I'm from Valley Springs. <laughs> Went to church in, in Burson. You blink and you drive by that church. It don't even look like a church. It was a barn and a bar. It was a feed store and a bar. There ain't nothing pretty about that place. I'm sorry, but the spirit of the Lord. I got a great education in that church. That's why I don't care about titles. We were about, no, there wasn't no organization. There was no, it was a group of people who loved the Lord. And it wasn't perfect. But what an education. So I don't really care. We were called, if you went to that church, you were called a fanatic. You were nuts. I'm nuts. But I know this, like, he saved me, guys. When no one else wanted me, he lifted me from the pit of despair. And he did the same for you. And he went 100% all in. He didn't compromise. There was no guarantees on my life. He didn't go, well, if you'll do... Lay down my life for you. And you know what? That's what he's asking of us today. He's just asking what he said from the beginning. And if you were told like, well, you can have your cake and eat it too. Just this is like a fire insurance. Just get saved and it's all good. And you can still do this and that. You can still do that. I'm sorry. That's not the case. He's a holy God. And he wants you holy. All of you. Not mixed. Not a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. Like, we're supposed to be weird. Seriously, it should, it, in this call, it, we are weird. We're still coming to church. We're still coming to church. Not because we're trying to be defiant, because we know, like, hey, our God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of this universe. Like, he's who I serve. And just like the children of Israel were supposed to look different to the rest of the world so that the God's people, they go, there's something different about those guys. There's a blessing. There's a favor on their life, and it would draw people to them. Hello? They dance a little differently. They dance to the different drum. And you're going to feel out of place at times. Praise God. He's carving you a little differently. Not the cultural carving you. You're letting God carve you. Not the culture polish you and form you. You're letting God form you. Praise the Lord. I guess that's a good place to stop. Not even close to done, but the clock says we are by a far. Let me pray over you guys. I highly encourage you.